welcome back into a fantastic new Whisper in the Wings. We have a great show in store for you today, a wonderful show and a great way to kick off Women's History Month this year. Joining us to talk to us about the show is the creator, choreographer, performer, director, woman in many hats, Rachna Navas, who's putting on her show Reclaiming the Divine Feminine. It's playing March 1st and 2nd at 7.30 p.m. at New York Live Arts. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting newyorkliveart.org. We're very excited about sharing this wonderful piece with you. And as we mentioned, a wonderful piece that's perfect for kicking off this wonderful month of women's history. So with that, we are going to welcome on our guest, Rachna. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this wonderful piece that you have created. This, I, I mean, it looks absolutely fantastic. I'm so excited to learn more about it. Could we start with having you tell us a bit about what Reclaiming the Divine Feminine is about? Sure, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me on this show. It's it's actually really great to, to speak to an audience that goes to theater because the dance form that I do called Kathak dance is both dance and theater. It's an ancient classical dance, Indian dance form that is an amalgamation of, of course, dance technique and movement and percussive dance, and as well as improvisation with live musical artists, which is part of the tradition with an interplay. But it's also a storytelling dance form. It's also a form that utilizes a very ancient tradition of dance, mime, and theater and expression. So I've always considered myself to be, you know, I've always wanted more audience of, of the theater and to be able to engage with, you know, theater audience. So, so this particular production, Reclaiming the Divine Feminine, is a work that, you know, is utilizing my training of Kathak dance. And, you know, I was very fortunate to train for 17 years with one of the world's foremost masters of Kathak dance in a very old school, very, you know, tough love, no nonsense environment of master apprentice training. And, but you, but from that, taking that training and that knowledge and aspect of the form to create a show that really takes audiences into this very esoteric concept of Tantra, which in the West is often viewed as having something to do with sex and usually having to do with, I don't know, freakish practices, which is a real stereotype <laughs> that was, that's been, you know, that goes about in the West around what Tantra really is. And which actually Tantra is a spiritual practice that is about non-duality um, understanding that the world is every single thing in the universe is interconnected, that there is no such thing as good and bad and good and evil and ugly and beautiful, and but that ultimately we are all one and connected. And as part of that philosophy is this very radical principle 
that feminine energy is at the center of it all. And this, you know, Tantra is birthed in tribal India. It's a, it's actually quite quite an indigenous philosophy and sect of, you know, of Hindu beliefs. It is radical even for Indians themselves. So it's stereotyped by the West, but um, quite dismissed even by Indians themselves because of this very, you know, anti-patriarchal belief that the fem feminine energy is the primordial energy of everything, is what pervades all things in time and space. And that, in fact, it's masculine energy that can only be experienced and expressed physically through the source of feminine energy. And so all of the iconography of Tantra at the, at the very, you know, at the very top of the iconography in Tantra is these goddesses. And it, the, the goddesses are autonomous. They are independent. They are not attached to any male figure. They're they are not consorts to a male figure. They're not even mothers, which is also, you know, a beautiful and wonderful concept of, of human life. But being forced to see a woman as only a mother and that that is her only role as a nurturing being is still part of a patriarchal paradigm. And so what really drew me to wanting to delve into a much deeper inquiry of, the, of this philosophy is that that's not the case in Tantra. That is a manifestation of feminine energy. It is not the manifestation of feminine energy. And so my show is particularly embodying goddess Kali. Kali is, is, a, is a figure that is starting to get some, uh, some attention in the West more and more. She is the goddess of time and death. She, her, her energy is really a representation of the, you know, paradoxes of, of feminine energy, but yet depicting a wholeness of that energy, which is that, yes, she is loving, but she is also rageful. Yes, she is beautiful, but she is also grotesque. Yes, you know, um, she is compassionate, but her wrath is not one that you'd want to mess with. Yes, she is ascetic, a spiritual being, but also very erotic. And and so I think, and these are often ideas that we in in our very quote unquote Western civilized society do are not things that we put together. We see asceticism as something sacred and erotica as something dirty. We see, you know, beauty as something very pristine, and we see things that are quote unquote ugly as something that we discard. And the the idea here is to show them all as one and to, for all of it. And I do that through, through, of course, dance, there's narration, there's live music, an incredible musical score that's originally composed by a phenomenal composer of India. So who I've worked with for many years, over 15 years, I've worked with him. He's a sitar artist and he worked with my teacher for many years as well. So he will be him, he will be coming from India for the show. The percussionist who's a tabla player 
And he'll also be playing another drum called the bakawaj, which is an even older drum than the tabla, which is really brings out, is a, is a very dramatic kind of more boomy drum. So he'll be playing that as well. That really brings out, a, you know, some of that wildness of, of goddess Kali. And, and then there's also a flute. There will be cello, which is not obviously Indian classical, but an element, uh, just a sound that I really wanted to bring in because of there, there is a haunting element of, of goddess Kali. You know, part of, part of it is what also is that I, you know, she holds, she actually holds a beheaded head, which represents her, you know, being able to cut off our centered, our egocentric centeredness. So that head represents that. She holds a sword with blood dripping, which is her, you know, slashing through, you know, greed and self-absorbedness and, you know, delusion and lies that and self-deception. So the blood rep represents cutting through that to get to our truth and get to, get to our, you know, our limitlessness, because that's actually, those are, those are what's creating illusions to how expansive and limitless we are as, as humans. So those, all of those are, are, are things that are props that I actually use in, in, in the dance as part of the show. That all. <laughs> Sorry, I know, just, that was probably a lot all at once. <laughs> no, no, no. Like that all sounds so fascinating. I, I, I feel both educated and entertained all in the same like bit. This is incredible. I love the depth that your piece is uh, exuding with it. So I'm curious to know, you know, what was the insight, inciting idea that that made you want to create this piece? I will say that this has been a personal chapter in my life I, that has driven me to do this. I um, was in a, a marriage and relationship for 25 years that I am not in anymore. And then I moved from California to New York to start a whole new chapter. And I was alone. I mean... When I say alone, I mean, there is, there is like no other way to describe it. I'm born and raised in California. All of my loved ones are there. I moved cross country and to, to find my, who I am psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually outside of all of that required really deep self-inquiry. And through that, I discovered you know, I started, I was reading so much and just started, I, I started, I picked up a couple of books that were specifically around not just goddess Kali, but around tantric wisdom goddesses. There's actually 10. And I, my very ambitious plan was, oh, I want to do all 10 goddesses. <laughs> then I brought it down to, wait, I'll do three of them. Let me pick three of them that really resonate with me. But, you know, the thing is, is that each one is, you could, you could study each one for a lifetime. And I went the route to, you know, just go really deep into one. And that in and of itself is so much to digest. 
by by an audience and, and by me, quite frankly. So I'm just this show is just is only one of them. Is is Goddess Kali, um, and she is the most recognizable at this, you know, right now. That is quite the journey. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> yes. And- I kind of want to build on that journey that you you took to to get here. And I'm curious to know, as you've developed this piece, what has it been what what has it been like developing it and getting it on its feet? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, like I said, there's there's something like very personal, you know, and that's why i I, I do call it a semi-autobiographical because, in reading so much about this, these ideas and philosophies of feminine energy being not only autonomous, but being what pervades and what makes possible all other life, including masculine energy, has been very uprooting. <laughs> because, I mean, let's be real. I mean, as women, I mean, we have to, we have to face our own inner patriarchy before we can, we can break patriarchy. (laughs) It's not about breaking patriarchy with men. It's about first breaking our own inner patriarchy before we can even possibly do that. And so I, I think the, that deep, deep conditioning over centuries, you know, yet in what it, what has come out in my research is that that truth and is already in our bodies that truth that's how that's why we have rage <laughs> that's why we you know that's why these these various emotions and expressions of 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 femininity come out in these very strange and messy ways it's because our bodies know that this is not actually correct this is not the correct this is not the way this is not whole there is something very imbalanced and disharmonious about the way in which our society is operating. We know it and men know it. Masculine, masculine energy knows it too. It's, it's patriarchy is not good for women or men. And I don't know why we don't talk about it more like that. It's not, men are not benefiting from patriarchy. <laughs> we, I don't, I, I really wish we, we started talking about it more like that rather than, well, men benefit from, that's why it keeps happening. Men are not benefiting from it. It's a, it's a, it's extreme disharmony for both, both energies. So I think, but I, the process of, of creating this work has got me to even be able to say that. I love that. Say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> Patriarchy benefits no one. No it benefits one. no one. It benefits. Patriarchy is a disharmony for both energies and it de-escalates, de-our potential, both energies potential, you know, that's that's the real thing, you know, and until both energies can be free to express ourselves and to understand our potential and limitlessness, that's when society will, will really, really rise. And I think it also, you know, going deeper into Tantra has also gotten me so much more interested in how indigenous cultures elevate feminine wisdom in, you know, in, in their societal structures and how much more that benefits everybody because of how 
the female body mimics nature's cycles and how nature's and how living our lives in connection with nature and with nature's cycles is actually what brings that harmony. So a lot of that in the show, you know, I do have narration, you know, that does delve into some of these philosophies, but what I really have tried to do is through, you know, the vocabulary of, of the dance is to express these various aspects of feminine energy, which from all the way from, you know, for example, there is one whole entire section where I express the five elements of the universe, which, you know, is ether, space, and sky, which is an Eastern, Eastern, in Western philosophy, that's not considered an element. In Eastern philosophy, there's five elements. So ether is one, space and ether. And then there's wind, vayu, as we say in Sanskrit, there's fire, teja, water, appa, prithvi, earth. So goddess Kali being the one who actually brings these elements into harmony, both in the cosmos as well as on earth. And it's, it's actually the cycles of the cosmic rhythm of the universe, you know, that she is pervading. So there's a whole, there's a whole, a whole part of the show where, you know, just showing that. And then there's an element that goes into, you know, the dance of time. You know, our understanding of time is very limited. We think time is linear. It's just how we live. And, you know, in, in tantric philosophy and a lot of Eastern philosophy, time is not linear at all. There are multiple parallel, you know, realities running at, at the same time. And this idea of linear time is, 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 a, is a, something that really traps us. It, it, it brings us anxiety. It brings us, you know, this thing that binds us to some sort of, you know, some sort of linear place we're going. And so there's in the dance of time, it's like this very sort of frenzied, sort of increasingly frenzied dance that shows goddess Kali being both the intoxicating idea. She it represents the idea of this intoxicating thing that binds us to this linear time, but she's also the energy that releases us from that idea. So it's both. So some of that is, you know, being expressed through the dance. There's also a whole st storytelling aspect, especially for theater audiences, you know, where, and this, this is part of, you know, a mytho uh, from part of a mythological story of where she takes the form of a more earthly goddess and actually enters into a sacred marriage with Lord Shiva. So she is now in the form of Sati and she's now married to Lord Shiva. And the reason why is because it's that sacred union of these energies that helps to create, restore order um, in the world. And so their love, their you know erotic and sacred love is a really important part of the story. But then when some of the other male gods start to forget that she is the one who is responsible for everything, that her energy is is actually one that needs to be adhered to and, you know, respected. And they start behaving in a more patriarchal manner. She, she lashes out. 
and her lashing out is, you know, she leaves the earth, devastating Lord Shiva. And, and there is a belief in India that when this happened, Lord Shiva carried her body all around the world and that 108 pieces of her body fell to the ground. And there are actually 108 locations in India that are worshipped as where, you know, pieces of her body were, were you know, dropped. So in the, in, the, in, the, in the show, I show that by doing 108 pirouettes. Oh, that's <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah. That is incredible. I'm, I am loving all of this. I am hanging on all of this. <laughs> and I'm curious to know, is there a message or a thought that you're hoping audiences take away from your show? Yeah, a lot of the things that I, I mentioned, you know, around there, there's a lot of there's a lot, I've actually even this whole idea of divine feminine, it's like a phrase that I, I'm starting to hear a lot. And that's wonderful. There's, you know, a lot of amazing things that are happening for women right now. There's an opening, there's a door, you know, that's really, that that I will say is really opening more than I think many, many, many years. At the same time, I think that there's, a lot of it is still being done within the positioning and paradigm of patriarchy, which is, okay, yes, women want to work more. Great. Absolutely. <laughs> women want to, you know, make their, make their own choices, but we're still having to do it within a male dominated idea of society. And that means still having to behave in a masculine manner. And I think one of the things that I would like, I hope, I would hope for, for folks to take away is that, you know, feminine energy is autonomous from, from that, from that idea. And that a lot of that, it, it's actually aligning with the cyclical nature of, of society, that's actually what feminine nature, what feminine energy is. And that if we really, really want to start to cut holes through, you know, a patriarchal capitalistic society, which is very interlinked, they are, I, I see them really as one and the same, to be honest, then, you know, we, we, we need to see feminine energy as being, as, as being independent energy that's responsible for, for, for art, for life. And I, I would, I would really, I would love for people to walk away, to think a little bit harder, to go even deeper, you know, starting with women, but you know, everyone, anybody who sees it. And, 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 and just to be clear, I also want to be really clear that when I say feminine energy, I does, I'm talking about, I mean, gender is not, I'm talking about an energy and that energy exists in all humans. You know, if you, you were born male, you have feminine energy. You are born female, you have masculine energy. Some have are more tipped in, in one direction than the other. And that fluidity, actually, of both gender and sexuality is a very ancient concept of India. This is not new. This is not something that's just started. This is very, very old. In fact, in South India, there is a concept called Ardhanadiswara, 
which means, which actually is that all beings have are both masculine and feminine the right side being masculine and the left side being feminine. And so you will see statues in all over India that have this concept of the right side masculine and the left side feminine. So I also want to want to be clear that when I when I talk about these things, there's a fluidity of it. It doesn't mean that there's not a polarity of the energies. That is wonderful, though. I love that. My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to reclaiming the divine feminine? Um, I, well, of course, the South Asian, you know, I, I would, you know, South Asian community to see something that is very, very different. As I mentioned earlier in the, in the interview, even amongst South Asians, Tantra is not is not a well-known idea. And Goddess Kali was actually kind of co-opted into a more patriarchal version of Hinduism. And the Goddess Kali that I am doing is 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 separate from that. So I, I would say that aspect is, I mean, that 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 population is really important to me. And that's part of, you know reclaiming our cultures and beliefs and traditions after being colonized for so many years but also you know I, you know this is for dancers people dance lovers this is for art lovers this is for theater lovers because it has a it has all of it put together all of it this is for music lovers. I mean, this this orchestra is incredible. These are some of the top musicians, leading musicians of India. And this is pure classical North Indian music that is being, is, is how it's being expressed. And it's very, very powerful. Anybody who who's who's a music lover will, even if you don't love dance, <laughs> there, there you will be, it's a real treat. to give our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit more pull the curtain back if you will and i know we're a little short on time but i can't let you go without asking our favorite question which is what is your favorite theater memory and as a dancer and performing artist i want to expand that as well as you know it could be a favorite dance memory as well i hope this isn't too cliche for theater lovers but i have to share it because this is because it was it had such a impact on me. I was really lucky when I was in high school that we had an incredible, this was in the Bay Area, in San, San Francisco Bay Area. And I was really lucky to go to a high school where the, the music program was really high level. And they used to have every year they would take, if you, if you were in the, if you were in choir, they would take you on a field trip into the city because I was in the suburbs to watch a broad, what was on Broadway at, at the time in San Francisco. And so how I got to see Les Mis was because of that. How I got to see Phantom of the Opera was because of that. How I got to see Cats was because of that. And it 
And I got to see it with my friends when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, which though, I mean, and those, I mean, I would say Les Mis, you know, was, had like a huge impact on me at that age, you know, when, and it's not that I wasn't a, I mean, a regular nineties kid, you know, I mean, nineties was also an amazing time for music for like pop music and hip, I mean, golden era of hip hop. So I was a regular kid with all of that stuff, but I also knew the difference. And I also was getting exposed to this, you know, incredibly rich theater. So I have a lot of very fond memories and being very emotionally impacted. And I think, I really think it had a big impact on my appreciation and love for high art. You know, I, of course, I never knew I was going to become a professional dancer, but I, I, I developed a taste for high art. I love that. <laughs> that is fantastic. And two shout outs, one shout out to performing arts teachers. Yes. And two shout outs yes. that expose, you know, high schoolers and just the youth to performing arts. Because that's a huge, huge thing. I am so excited that you got to see those shows as I came through San Francisco, because yes, those are the iconic shows. There's no cliche to that. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure. And I just want to say again to all, to other teachers as well, that, you know, even if teenagers look like they're not having a good time and they act like they're too cool for it, they're getting something out of it and they are going to be better human beings for it. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. I want to ask as we wrap up, do you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I I would just say that, you know, I am one of the founders and artistic directors of Leela Dance Collective, which is a collective that, you know, was born in California between a few of us who were senior disciples of our guru, our master teacher, Pandit Chitresh Das, he passed away in 2015. And we are, you know, senior torchbearers of this incredible lineage that we are so, so proud to, you know, be carrying forward. And so we we just did a showcase at APAP, the APAP conference, just, a, just last week, the Performing Arts Professionals Conference. So we're currently working on touring one of our shows called Encounters with Beauty, which is actually a collaboration with chamber, Western classical chamber music without Indian, without, I mean, there is, there's a sum of it that also brings in an Indian classical element as well. So I just wanted to mention, we, I don't have a date of a show, but I wanted to just talk about some of the other work that we do. Another, another production that we do is a, is a work called Speak which is a collaboration between Kathak dance, me and my, my dance sister, Rukmini Mehta, and tap dancers, um, New York-based tap dancers, and jazz music, with, which is Dormisha, and Michelle Dorrance is also one of the co-creators of that show. We have been, you know, performing this show since 2015, 2016, and it's a long-term relationship we've had with the tap world and with jazz, starting with Jason Samuel Smith, who is a protege of Sidney Glover. So I, I've been in, you know, I've really had the fortune to be to be very intimately connected with 
with the tap world for many years. And so this is another show that we're currently touring. Out for us. And, you know, if you'd like to stay in touch with more stuff, please follow me on Instagram. I'm sure Andrew will can give that information somewhere, but it's just my full name at Rachna Navas. You can also follow Leela Dance Collective for more of our bigger projects. You've already done a perfect job leading into my final question, which is if our listeners would like more information about Reclaiming the Divine Feminine or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Now, you've already mentioned your Instagram. You would also mention that Layla Dance is on Instagram. Is that just at Layla Dance as well? Layla Dance Collective, yeah. So my Instagram is Rechna Navas, my full name. And then Layla Dance Collective is at Layla Leela Dance Collective. Those are those are the best ways, you know, if you want to stay in touch. Of course, we have websites and, you know, all of that. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Rajna, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been so fascinating. I am so excited about this show. I, I love being on here. Yeah, I, I, I am, I've been honored to have you here. The, the culture and the art that you are bringing to New York and exposing with this show, I just, it's, it makes my heart so happy. Yeah. The story that you're bringing is just, it sounds so fascinating. So I cannot wait to see this show. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I hope some, some listeners come and it's, it's going to be fun. And there's also going to be a post-performance talk. So it's a great way to engage a little bit more. Fabulous. My guest today has been the director, creator, performer, choreographer, Rachna Navas, whose new show, Reclaiming the Divine Feminine, is playing March 1st and 2nd at 7.30 p.m. at New York Live Arts. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting newyorkliveart.org. Org. We also have some contact information for Rachna and her dance collective she's a part of, which we'll be posting on our episode description as well as on our social media posts. But make sure you get your tickets now. Head to NewYorkLifeArts.org for this amazing show. It's going to be incredible. And what a great way to kick off Women's History Month. It's Reclaiming the Divine Feminine, March 1st and 2nd at 7.30 p.m. at New York Live Arts. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap those candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. 
Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.